So Exodus 15.7 says, And in the greatness of your excellence. You know, we're just going to stop there because that's what I want to get out of here this morning. You guys have been here. You know we have a theme this year. It's excellence. And we're talking about God's excellence. And then we're talking about the excellence that God has for each and every one of us. We're talking about the foundation and Christ is the foundation and how our lives are a building and uh, how, how God wants to come alongside us and help our build our lives so there'll be lives of excellence and excellence for Him. And uh, I had something very interesting this past week happen, so this morning's going to be a little different. If you guys see here, these are my notes, okay? You can see this. These are the notes that I have, and we probably went and get through all these notes. And some of these I've already done. I just keep them in so I can review. But as I was preparing my uh, message this week, on Monday, because that's when I try to get Sue my sermon title, I sent out my sermon title. We were going to be looking at Philippians chapter 1. And then uh, throughout the week, I would read something, and the Holy Spirit would say, well, Okay, and then he would say something else, and then something else, and I'd end up read through the Bible. I've been the end of Genesis, and then into Exodus, and I was looking at that, and I was looking at um, all these different things. And during the week, when I was sitting there working on one of my messages, the Holy Spirit told me, and he's only done this one other time, quit working on your message. Just stop. Just set it aside. Don't even prepare anymore. I just want to speak through you. Now, those of you who don't know me, that's not me. And the one time it happened, one other time, was so many years ago. I was at the gym. It was a Wednesday. That's how much it sticks in my mind. I was on a machine at the gym where you go like this, right? And I was sitting there, and I was praying, and the Holy Spirit told me, do not prepare, a, uh, don't finish your message, quit. And the first things that came to my mind were, okay, I have to prepare a message so I don't have to prepare a message. And when the Holy Spirit told me this week, I said, oh, man, that's not good because that means I won't sleep all a Saturday night because that's who I am. As a matter of fact, I'm the person, like if I'm going on a vacation, like, uh, like when we went to Italy on that vacation, a month before we leave, I'm nervous about what I already left. You know, it's like I'm that kind of person, right? You know, I'm always nervous I'm going to leave something like that. And this week the Holy Spirit said, just it's okay. It's okay. You have all these thoughts, all these things going around. Now, along with that, I've been talking about the Holy Spirit, how God's given us the Holy Spirit. Do you guys remember my message from last week? How many? Be honest, how many remember my message from last week? Praise God. I'm just going to get last week's. Do that one again. My mom remembers it, don't you, Mom? You know how I know you remember it? Because she sent me two emails telling me how much she loved last week's message and how much it ministered to her and how much the month of December in her life made sense to her now and everything she was going through and encouraging me, saying how great it was. But we've been looking at the Holy Spirit, how the God's given us His Holy Spirit in our personal walk with Him. And, and ever since I've been ministering on that, I've been talking to the Holy Spirit all the time. I've been crying out to Him, Holy Spirit, speak to me, lead me, guide me. 
Give me ears to hear. Give me eyes to see. God, what do you want us to do? Lead us a Christian mission. Lead me in my life. If temptation comes my way, God, that's the Holy Spirit, that's a temptation. Get thee behind me, Satan. Holy Spirit, just fill me right now. So I walk in victory and crying out to him over and over and over and over and over. And, you, and the Holy Spirit does. And he meets us and he comes alongside us and he helps us. And he speaks to us and he ministers to us. So I've been looking at all these things and praying about it, and I just said, okay, I'm just going to trust you. I didn't sleep well last night. I knew I wouldn't. I woke up at 1 o'clock, and the first thing I did was start working on my sermon. And uh, I was laying there for a little bit, and I rolled over. I looked at the clock. It was 1.11, and I was like, holy smokes, this is going to be a long night. And then I said, the Holy Spirit told me. And so I am trying in obedience to him to do what I believe he wants me to do this morning. If it bombs, it's okay. I'm okay with it. Let me share something with you. I can't speak for every pastor, but as a pastor, you feel like you have to hit a home run every single Sunday. There's no such thing as a base hit, let alone a ground out or striking out. You have to hit a home run every single Sunday. I can't. And as I've been preaching, we can't do this on our own. We need God. We need the Holy Spirit. If you're going to build your house with excellence, it's going to be because the Holy... Psalm 127.1. What is what Psalm 1... I've read it the last couple of weeks. Who knows what Psalm 127.1 is? Well, he put it up there. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor, labor in vain. Unless God builds the house, unless God does this, unless God builds our lives, we're laboring in vain anyway. It doesn't mean anything. And all the stuff that we build in the world, in all the world's goods, it's all just going to burn anyway. It's not, it's not going to matter. So unless the Lord builds the house, unless the Holy Spirit's involved, speaking to us, ministering to us, it's not going to matter. So we have to understand what, as I, one of the things I've shared, and I know I shared it last week, is that God is for us. This week uh, I was looking at the Internet, and uh, the headline on the Internet where I was looking said this, Aaron Rodgers' family is not happy with him. It was something like that. Did you guys see that? Everybody know who Aaron Rodgers is? He's a quarterback for the Green Bay Packers. See, I assumed everybody knows, and Debbie's down here. No, I have no idea who Aaron Rodgers is. He's Mr. Rodgers' brother. Don't worry about it. It's all good. It's a wonderful day in the neighborhood. Aaron Rodgers they said was raised in a strong Christian family. And this is what, um, on a podcast, this is what he said this week. He said, I don't think it's very welcoming. Religion can be a crutch. It can be something that people have to have to make themselves feel better. And because it's sort of binary, it's us and them. It's saved and unsaved. It's heaven and hell. It's enlightened and heathen. It's holy and righteous and sinner and filthy. I think that makes a lot of people feel better about themselves. They say, oh, I've got Jesus and I'm saved and I'm going to heaven. And there's only 144,000 of us going even though there's 7 billion people on the planet. 
I don't know how you can believe in a God who wants to condemn most of the planet to a fiery hell. Like what type of loving, sensitive, omnipresent, omnipotent being wants to condemn most of his beautiful creation to a fiery hell at the end of all this? And then he said, ultimately, it was that rules and regulations and binary systems don't really resonate with me. And this is why he doesn't believe in God and why he's not religious. And I was thinking about a lot of the world thinks the same thing. One, the rules and regulations. So much of the world looks at God as, and Christianity as nothing but rules and regulations. You can't do this, you can't do that, you can't do this, you can't do that, you can't do this, you can't do that. You have to do this, you have to do that, you have to do this, you have to do that. If that's your Christianity, I feel sorry for you. I, I pity you. Who was it who said that? I pity the man. I pity you. Mr. T, thank you. <laughs> Mr. Rogers' brother's best friend. Mr. T, I pity the man. Who's that's their Christian walk? Winnie the Pooh said that? Oh, I pity the fool. I thought you said Winnie the Pooh. This isn't an open forum, guys. This is... Okay, yes, at this church it actually kind of is. I do interact with you guys. That's, that's not totally accurate. Yeah. We'll talk about Winnie the Pooh another time. I'm not sure how he fits in here yet, but we'll see. So many people... That's how they see God, as rules and regulations, and he's just waiting for us to make a mistake so he can chastise us, so he can discipline us. That's not who God is. If you see God as that, I feel sorry for you. I wish that none would perish but all would come to eternal life. And the 144,000 he's talking about there is during the book of time of Revelation and for the 12 tribes. It's not for the church today, which he didn't even get and he didn't even understand, which is okay. And that's what I'm saying. And so I'm looking at this and I'm wondering how many people know that God is for you? That's one of the things we looked at last week. Let's see if I have a scripture here. Romans 8.31 says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him for of, over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? The answer is, if God is for us, the answer is, yes, God is for you. God is for me. Get that deep in your heart because you're going to need that. This life doesn't, isn't always easy times. Sometimes we face really, really, really difficult times, times that we think that we're not going to make it through, times that we think that are going to break us or we're going to fail. This life is not always easy. You need to know that God is for you. When is God for you? All the time. And all the time? 
<laughs> oh, God is good. Look at I threw you guys a curveball. God is for you. When? All the time. Some of the notes I had. Let me see if I find this real fast. Oh, here it is. God is for us in the good times. God is for us in the difficult times. God is for us in the silent times. That was one of the things I was looking at, three points I was thinking about doing this morning. So let's talk about that one this, just for a second this morning. God is for us in the good times. Yeah, we all accept that. We all like the good times. The good times are great. What's the problem with the good times? We don't need God. We do. We just forget. After a while, everything's going, oh, man, I don't need God right now. I'm doing well. You guys, you guys have all heard the story of the guy who's at Christmas time, and he's at the mall, and he's looking for a parking place, and there's no place to park. And he's driving around. He can't find a place to park, and he's so frustrated. And he says, God, just please help me find a place to park. He turns around the corner. There's a place. He starts pulling in. He says, never mind, God. I found it myself. Thanks. Good to go. That's the way we are. God, help me. Help. Never mind. I took, I'm good now. I took care of it myself. It's all me. In the good times, God is for us. In the difficult times, God is for us. He allows us to go through the difficult times for a reason and a purpose, which ties into one of the other things I was talking and thinking about talking about this morning. You go back to the book of Genesis at the end of Genesis and Joseph. You guys remember Joseph? You guys remember what happened to Joseph? How he had a couple dreams and the dreams he shared with his father and his brothers. And the dreams were that you guys are going to bow down to me. Joseph's young, and all his, they're all older than him. And you're all going to bow down to me. And it doesn't work that way, especially in that society. And they're like, what? We're all bowing? Yeah, what? And then the brothers will go out, and they're shepherding. And his father sends them, hey, go check on your brothers and see how they're doing. And what happens when he's out there checking on his brothers? You guys remember? The brothers say, let's kill him. This is the one. This is the one with the coat of many colors. You guys remember? He loved him, and he gives him this coat, this coat of many colors. And here he comes. Let's kill him. And he has on that coat. It's like he's rubbing it in their face. You know, he's walking out there with this really nice coat that their dad gave him. I'm tired of this guy. Get rid of him. They're going to kill him. They throw him into a pit. One of the brothers says, no, we can't kill him. And he's planning to come by and let him out. Caravan of Ishmaelites go by. What do they do? They pull him out of the pit and they sell him to the Ishmaelites into slavery. I don't know about you guys, but in our society and what the church is preaching today, not the church, but I should say many churches are preaching today, they would say God's not in that. That's not where God is, but God was right in the middle of it. God was right in the middle of everything that's going on in his life in the difficult times. Imagine you have these 11 brothers, and at least 10 of them want to kill you, it seems like. That's not a real fun start. You know what? That's not like a nice, loving family that I want to be a part of. And, and they end up selling you into slavery. 
And then the Ishmaelites, they take him in to Egypt. What do they do? Sell him to Potiphar. Potiphar takes him in. And while he's in Potiphar's house, what happens in Potiphar's house? The Bible says about Joseph that he was very handsome. He was very good looking. And Potiphar's wife was like, <laughs> Mamma mia, that's a spicy meatball. And she looks and she says, I want him. And so she keeps coming on to him and he keeps pushing her away. She keeps coming on. Finally, there's nobody around. She forces herself on him. Grabs, runs out. Look at he tried to get me. He tried to have me. He called. So what happens? He's thrown into prison. For how long? At least a couple years. He's in prison. And while he's in prison, he has two people have dreams. It was the baker and the candlestick maker. The baker and the wine. Thank you. I couldn't. I'm, this is all off the top of my head, by the way. I didn't prepare for this or anything. This is all off the top of my head. So the uh, wine, the wine taster. Thank you, Marilyn. I couldn't remember. All I could think of was the something, the baker and candlestick maker from some old nursery rhyme. Going back to Mr. Rogers and Mr. T, Winnie the Pooh. And they have this dream, and it's basically the same dream, except one has a very favorable outcome and one has a very negative outcome. The, the, this is three days, and in three days you will be returned to your position you're in, and yours, this is three days, and in three days your head will be taken from your body. And that's what happened, and it goes on. And then Pharaoh ends up having a dream. Remember this? And he can't, and he doesn't know the dream. And then the jail, the guy who's in charge of the jail, says, I remember a guy who can interpret dreams. And then Joseph, and they send him, and he goes to Pharaoh, and he interprets the dream and tells him what to do. And he says, there's going to be seven really good years. Remember, it actually has two dreams, and they're the same one, and there's going to be seven year, good years and seven years of famine. You guys remember all this? Seven good years and seven years of famine. And so he says, do this during the seven good years. Take it all. Store it. Get it prepared because after this, seven bad years are coming. Get ready for it. It's going to happen. It's taking place. So here's Joseph, and he's been, he's been rejected by his family. He's been sold into slavery. He's been accused of rape. He's been thrown into jail for it. He's been, all these things have happened to him. And like I said, in today's church, we would say God's not in there. God's not there. God's not for him. He's doing something wrong. And yet God's for him the whole time. God in his sovereignty is allowing this for a reason and a purpose. And they tell us what it is at the end of Genesis. In Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. What is Jeff? Don't put it up there yet, Gene. Don't cheat. Look at him. Do you guys remember Genesis chapter 50, verse 20? You guys have it on plaques in your house. That's Joshua 24, 15. Genesis 50, 20 says, What they meant for evil, God meant for good. Right? 
Yes, you yourself planned evil against me. God planned it for good in order to bring about what it is this day to preserve the lives of many people. God is for us. He's for us during the good times. He's for us during the difficult times. He's still working during the difficult times. But what about when God's silent? You guys ever have times when God's silent in your life? I call them, uh, sometimes they're desert experiences, plateau experiences, or when God's silent. Because right after this, in Genesis, we go to Moses. And do you guys remember the time frame that takes place between when Joseph is there in Egypt and the Israelites are set free to go towards out of slavery from Egypt? You guys remember, 430 years. For 430 years, God hasn't said anything, hasn't mentioned anything. And yet in silence, God is still working. He's still for us. He's still behind the scenes. And you know what? I may come back to this time of silence in a second. But then if we go to the end of the Old Testament and we get to the... Uh, the Italian prophet, Malachi, that's not real. He wasn't really Italian. His last name it was not Malachi, but that's how some people read it. Malachi. At the end of Malachi, we have another four years. It's called 400 years. It's called the intertestamental period between the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament. So we have these years where God appears to be silent. And if I remember, and this is off the top of my head, but it's during the intertestamental period when we have Hanukkah that comes about. Does anybody remember that with me? I believe it was during the intertestamental period when the uh, Maccabeans, and you had the Maccabean revolt, and then they ran out of oil, supposed to run out of oil, and the oil kept going for seven more days. Then we have the, we celebrate, well, did you celebrate Hanukkah and everything that's going on there? You guys, yeah, no one's shaking their head. Nobody remembers. That's okay. Don't worry, it's off the top of my head too. Okay, let's go back to 430 years. We go back to this time. And it, it says at the beginning of Exodus that Pharaoh had no idea who Joseph was anymore. We'd had enough time. The Pharaohs forgot who Joseph was. Joseph was second in command. He had been put through all the difficult stuff, and what Satan meant for evil, God used for good, right? Genesis 50, 20. And then it had been so long the Pharaohs forgot who he was, had no idea. And now Israelites are all in slavery, and they're in slavery to Egypt. And the Pharaoh says, anybody remember what Pharaoh said? There's becoming so many of them. They're, they're coming everywhere. If we allow them to keep reproducing, they're going to take over and overrun us. So they made them start doing hard slavery and hard work, and they put them to that. And then they said, and start killing the males and tell the midwives. And I just read this, and their name was like uh, Shilfar and Pua. I remember Pua was one of the names. P-U-A-H. And why are two midwives' names important? Because of this. Pharaoh's name's not mentioned. At the beginning of Exodus, the first three or four verses talks about Joseph and his, his family there, and then it goes into Moses' time, okay? 
and we don't have anybody's names except we start off with two midwives. Midwives were like the lowest in the social class and lowest in the economic class. And yet their names are mentioned because they said, we fear God more than we fear Pharaoh. What did they tell Pharaoh? The Israelite women are too strong. They give birth before we get there. And before we even get there, they've already given birth. We, can't, we haven't had a chance to kill them. He said, kill them all. It, to, yeah, kill them when they're being born. Get rid of them. Wipe them out. That's right. And then Moses is born. And then what does she do with Moses? Puts him in a basket. Puts him in the river. Why down at the river? The Pharaoh's daughter comes down. See this, this child there, in there, in the river. Takes him out and says, yes. And then she sees somebody and says, go get her and have her nurse it. And who does she see? Moses' mom. See, this is all God ordained. This is all God's stuff that God's doing. In building our house and building our lives and building his church and doing what he wants to do. God is for us. That's the point I want you to get. So here's Moses. And he's born. He's found in this basket. She should have killed him. She doesn't kill him. She raises him. She finds, she didn't know it, his mother. She nurses him and continues. And then he grows up. And then he goes off to what Midian is, I remember. And he's in Midian. And then he takes the daughter, and then he's out there, and something happens out there. What happened out there? A burning bush. I've seen a burning bush, but not one that ever talked back to me. Actually, not one that ever spoke to me in the first place. God initiated the conversation. I don't know about you guys, but... uh. I don't know how to, I almost said I'd have to clean my shorts after that one. I did say it. If I were out there and I saw a burning bush, first thing I'd do is think I need to put this out. And if it started talking to me, it would scare the bejeebers out of me. And yet God says, I want you. I want you. I want you to go and do this. Okay, so Moses says, I have to go back to my people. I want you to go deliver my people. God said, I hear the cry of my people. They're suffering. I want you to go to be their deliverer. And Moses goes. And then what is Moses' excuse to God? I can't speak. I stutter. I stammer. I'm not to be your mouthpiece. I'm not to set your people free. And God says, I will be with you. And you know what just jumped in my mind? What happened right before that happened? Exodus chapter 3, verses like 14 and 15. You don't have to put it up there. Moses said, who shall I say sent me? And God said, I am. I am who I am, which is Yahweh, God, his covenant name. How do you remember that? Remember, Popeye, I am who I am. Yahweh, I am sent you. And he says, I can't speak. And the reason I'm sharing this is this. Moses had, didn't have a lot going on the ball for him. 
He was ordinary just like each and every single one of Sometimes we read about people in the Bible and we hold them up on this high pedestal and place them on high esteem. Sometimes even today we hold pastors or people who have these big, huge churches and hold them up. Every one of us is just alike and God has a calling for each and every one of us. And He has the Holy Spirit for each and every one of us. He's for each and every one of us. I actually looked this up. In it, I forget her name, so I have to see if I see it here in my notes. It's Christine Kane. It says, God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. God has a ministry for you. He has a calling for you. And you can give him all the excuses you want. And he says, I don't care. I'll take care of it. I am who I am. I am has sent you. I am will be with you. As a matter of fact, something that jumped out to me, that really jumped out at me, and it was Exodus chapter 6, and it's right on the right-hand side of the page, right here, and he says about 8 or 10 or 12 times in a row, I will, I am, I will, I am, I will, I am, I will, just back and forth. And in my Bible, I have all these parentheses, so my eyes just go to it. When God sends us on a job, when God says, I want you to build a house of excellence, when God says all these things, when God says, I have a ministry for you, I have a calling for you, I have this for you, he says, and how will I do it? And I'm not capable, and I don't have the qualities, and I'm not good enough, and I don't have those gifts, and I don't have those talents. And God says, I am and I will. I am and I will. Don't worry about it, Dave. You know, the one thing I said I would never do as far as a career is be a pastor. The one thing I said, I will never, ever be a pastor. And you know why I said that? I said, because they don't make enough money and there's too much stress. So I was one job I will never see. My dad was a pastor. I grew up in a pastor's house. And I said, that's the one thing I will never do. So much for that theory. Yeah. Because the old thing goes, you want to make God laugh? Tell him your plans. You know? I told him my plans. I'll never do that. And yet God called me to do it. And I'll be, I'll be honest with you. I've wanted to quit numerous times. I've been tempted to quit numerous times. I've thought about quitting numerous times. I uh, have been full-time as a pastor at this church for over 35 years. I've wanted to quit numerous times. And every time I've wanted to quit, the Holy Spirit comes to me. And he tells me the exact same thing every time. He said, Dave, who called you? I said, Lord, you called me. Have I released you? I hope. Nope. I haven't released you. I called you. And until I release you, you do what I've been telling you to do. You stick with it. You continue on. I think it's Galatians 6, 9. Do not grow weary in well-doing, for in due time you shall reap your reward. Because you get beat up. You get knocked down. You, all these things happen. God says, you know what God says? I am 
and I will. I am, and I will. And it goes on and on and on. And then Moses, Moses, all his excuses, and no, he's not qualified, and yes, he stutters, and he stammers, and he's not a good speaker, let alone a good public speaker, and he doesn't have the gifts and whatever, but God says, I called you, I will qualify you, I'll give you what you need. It may not be in your time, but I will do it when I want to do it, and I will do it in my perfect time. You may have to have your family reject you. You may have to be sold into slavery. You may have to be accused of rape. You may have to go through prison. You may have to do all these things. That's okay. I'm still with you. I'm still for you. And I still have something great for you. And I look out here and I know some of what you're going through. And some of your marriages and some of your struggles with your children. And some of your struggles with your spouses. And you're dealing with all this. And God says, I am for you. I am with you, and I will. And you're ready to throw in the towel. You're ready to walk away. You're ready to give up. I've been there. I understand. I get it. I've wanted to do the same thing. Until we remember who God is, who the Holy Spirit is, that God's given to each and every one of us. For us to have that personal walk when he, when he talks to us. And if you don't know the voice of the Holy Spirit, say, God, Holy Spirit, I want to learn your voice. And when you start hearing a voice, start listening and start responding. And you won't always, you won't always hit it right every single time, but you'll learn his voice. I don't know if they still do it now, but the way they used to teach people, um, bankers, how to tell a counterfeit note was touch as much money, real money as you can. Because the more you handle real money, when something counterfeit comes through, you'll be able to feel it. The more time you spend touching real money, and then when if you talk to somebody who's actually done it, they say it's true. After a while, when you feel it so much, it wouldn't feel the same. And you know, you tell the Holy Spirit because he's still speaking to us. He's still talking to each and every one of us. He's not finished with you. He's not done with you. He's not done with your marriage. He's not done with your family. He's not done with your children. He's not done with your ministry. He's not done with your calling. He still has more for each and every one of us. And God says, I am and I will. As, as we started off in the foundation, Matthew 7, 24 through 27, you guys remember that? Sorry for Mike who's visiting, but the foundation, and then Christ is our foundation, and we're building this house upon it, this house of excellence. God said, I am and I will. So be open to him. Listen to the Holy Spirit. If he shares with you, for some reason, I don't want you to prepare your message this week, which I hate. I'll be honest with you. I don't like it. But in obedience to him, you know what I feel like the Holy Spirit was telling me this morning? He was saying, Dave, I want you to be an object lesson. I Just be an object lesson. You just be obedient to what I'm telling you to do. You get up there, and I'll speak through you with the words that I want to speak through you. And I will, because I am, I will. And you will just be an object lesson. He said, because I am, I will. Amen? Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, 
You are such a good God, and you are for us, God. And I pray, Father, that each and every one of us will get that deep in our hearts, Lord, that you are for us. You're not against us. You don't want to see us spend eternity in hell, Lord. You want us to be spend eternity with you in your presence, fellowshipping with you, walking with you. And Lord, uh, I just pray, Lord, that I know we will still face difficult times in our life. I know there's still going to be things we go through, Lord Jesus. And that's why it's so important, Father, that we allow you to understand you are and you will and that you are for us and that you'll put that deep in our hearts, Lord Jesus. And now while everybody's praying and everybody has their eyes closed, I just want to give you a chance to receive Jesus if you never have. Because he is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through him. And there's only way to this fellowship, this relationship, and that's through Jesus. And if you don't know him or you aren't invited him in, he said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man opens the door, hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and sup with him and he with me. He wants to have that close, intimate relationship. And if that's you and you want a relationship with him this morning, I'm going to ask that you stand up and just walk down to the front. I'll introduce you. I'll pray with you. And uh, you can invite him in, and it will be the best decision you ever make your whole life. He wants to come in. He wants to have that close, personal relationship with you. And then at that point, he will say, I am. And I will. Is anybody here this morning would like to do that? Then, Father, I pray that every person in this room knows you and has a personal relationship with you. And if there's even one who doesn't, that that one would come to know you today before they even leave this building, that they will come to know you and have a personal relationship with you. And they will learn that you are and that you will. And now, Father, for each and every Christian, that we would leave here in the power of your Holy Spirit, listening to your Holy Spirit, obedient to your Holy Spirit and what he calls us to do, and we will go out and we will be world changers for you. I pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone says, Amen. Let's stand and close in song. Amen.